As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley, and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, though at a very late hour. In fact, you're on Central Time, so it's actually the next day there. We intentionally held off recording this week's episode because we knew Ohio State's decision on Urban Meyer would be coming down sometime middle of the week, and it did on Wednesday, but not before a roughly 12-hour Board of Trustees meeting with Ohio State's board, with the president, with the investigators. I believe it was around 9 p.m. Eastern that they finally came out and announced a three-game suspension for Urban Meyer. He'll miss the first three games of the season, though he will be back at practice after the first game. Gene Smith, the AD, also suspended for 17 days. Now, I want to just note here, we can talk about this, how this kind of unfolded, but they put out a very brief summation of their report right before the press conference that said basically this investigation in regards to that 2015 incident with Zach Smith found that basically they kind of excused Urban Meyer and Gene Smith that they they were supposed to have reported that to Ohio State's compliance office, although it was the police that actually contacted them. They failed to do so, but they chalked that up more as a misunderstanding of their reporting protocols. You don't have to actually have an arrest or a court appearance or anything to trigger your reporting obligations. So they kind of gave him a pass on that one. They were a little more critical about the fact that he allowed that they allowed Zach Smith to stay on the staff as long as they did, and I've been critical of that as well. But there's even more stuff. You know, we already knew about the 2009 domestic violence arrest, the 2015 domestic violence investigation. It came out recently that he had a 2013 DUI, although this report says Urban Meyer didn't know about that. There's more misconduct described in here. A $600 bill at a strip club on a recruiting visit or on a recruiting trip. 
period where he stopped, where he started showing up late to practices and meetings. Obviously, Brad McMurphy reported last week he slept with a secretary in the football office. Anyway, he's a bad dude. I think we've established that. And they took him to task for that. And they addressed the lying at Big Ten media days in kind of a weird fashion that we can get into, where they basically said, we're very confused about why he would say he didn't know anything about this incident when he clearly did, but we can't really prove that he deliberately lied about it. So those are kind of the three things from as a starting point. But Bruce, only after the press conference, did the full 23-page report come out. And um, we've been sifting through it, and holy cow, is there a lot in there. There is a lot. I mean, for, for our listeners, there's a lot of, you know, I think we should say, there's not any set rule how this thing happens and how these investigations, like what the protocols and how these things are going to are going to come out, you know, whether it was Pepper Hamilton's investigation at Baylor or some of these others that we've seen. It just you see, so you really don't know. And so for the people in the press conference, it's a weird place to be where right now, I think much like some of this other stuff as we've had this with with this story since Big Ten Media Days. You keep get you still have more questions. Like sometimes, more information is only creating more questions. And this twenty-three page document, I think, does that. It, and there's a bunch of stuff where you kind of go through. And you know, Urban Meyer said he met with both Zach Smith and Courtney Smith after the two thousand nine incident to say that the arrest was based on incorrect information. And Courtney Smith, though, denies meeting with Urban Meyer and never recanted claims. Urban and, and Shelley thought Courtney was, quote, not being entirely truthful. So you start getting a pretty clear picture of uh, they were very skeptical of her. I mean, some of the stuff, I don't want to be dismissive of, you know, Zach Smith runs up a big bill at a strip club in Florida. The DUI that they said he didn't know about, the stuff that was sent to the office. Like some of those, I think there are things where I'm like, okay. I can see football coaches not taking that seriously. The part that I think is probably more significant when I read through this was in the face of the 2009 incident that Urban Meyer knows about, when 2015 comes up, does that become a red flag at that point? Shouldn't that have become a red flag? The part about when it's talked about how Urban Meyer goes on to to try to manage what can be accessed on his on his phone records after this i mean that looks dubious i think and i talked to another head coach earlier tonight and brought that up and he was like sure you're going to do that it's like because you don't know what you said and you don't know what might be on there and i'm like and i said but that makes you look guilty he goes yeah it definitely does and he goes, but we, but we, and this coach said, we do that. And I was like, Jesus, you know, but then there's other parts of this, which, and I think this goes back to something we, we talked about, you know, three weeks ago where, it, you know, Shelly Meyer with this information never told Urban Meyer. I mean, they couldn't prove it. And that's, there's some skepticism in the, in the report, but I think that's hard for a lot of people to believe. Yeah, no, I don't think many people would believe that. Really, over the, 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 the you know, we, we already heard a lot about Zach Smith from Brett McMurphy's reporting. Even more stuff comes in here, and you see a pattern of a guy who, if you're going to put it most kindly, immature. I, I think it was a lot worse than that. But there's at least three separate occasions in this report where the investigators say that Urban Meyer told him 
hey, if you do that again, you're fired, right? There was the period where he was showing up late all the time to practices and meetings, told him he was in danger of being fired there. There was the running up the $600 tab at a strip club on a recruiting trip, told him if you do that again, you're fired. And of course, most notably, when the 2015 domestic violence investigation was underway, he told him, if I found out you hit her, you're fired. And Gene Smith actually said, you know, short of that, if you're arrested, you're going to be fired. Oh, which brings us, by the way, to one of the most troubling things in the whole report, and you alluded to it earlier. I think we were both operating all this time under the assumption that if Urban Meyer knew about the 2009 arrest, then surely Ohio State did when they hired him. Not so much. (laughs) Didn't turn up in the background check. Urban Meyer didn't tell anybody about it, apparently because he thought that... He He didn't believe her. He didn't believe her, right? That's a continuing thread in here, and frankly, a very disturbing one, frankly, for domestic violence victims everywhere. So he didn't tell anybody. And then, like you said, so then he's accused of the same thing or much the same thing in 2015. And even then, Urban Meyer doesn't think to say, hey, you know, we had a similar incident like this back in Florida. And so I was just floored when it said that Gene Smith did not learn of the 2009 uh, arrest until last month, until it came out publicly in July of 2018. That's astounding. Hey, by the way, how do you think that relationship is right now between Gene Smith and Urban Meyer? Oh, I think there's a lot of awkwardness all over the place there between board, president, head coach, and AD. I mean, I you know, and that's a, honestly, that's a story for another day, to be honest. You know, pouring through this, a couple other things that, that you know, this thing, because it got discussed a lot, and we discussed it a lot, was Urban Meyer not being up. Uh, truthful at Big Ten Media Days in Chicago, and there is a there is a, re, a kind of a blow by blow by going through this text, and this is Urban Meyer, and it's from the night before. I know nothing about this. He asked, "Is there a way to find out exactly what his issues were?" I know about 2009 in parentheses it was dropped, and last week. That's it. Need some guidance here, so when I speak to media, I'm not wrong. Later that evening, Ryan Stamper, Ryan Stamper is his player development guy. Ryan Stamper also, former U- University of Florida player, also was a, was, a, uh, was a member of a police force down in Florida. Stamper reported to Meyer that there was no record of Zach Smith being arrested in 2015, only records of a divorce. Meyer acknowledged this, stating, Stamp just confirmed there was no arrest in 2015. As the same text chain continued into the morning of July 24th, Gene Smith cautioned, I would be careful, do not get too detailed. He went on to advise that whatever Coach Meyer says on the subject of Big Ten Media Days should be said in his opening statement and, quote, and take no more questions on it. Well, Gene Smith, Urban Meyer went went off script there because he took more questions on it. He didn't stay on script. He did get very detailed. But in the context of this, you know, of what this text exchange was, I can kind of see where, like to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong on this, because there's plenty of other stuff that, that I think looks, looks, you know, you can be skeptical about. This backs up Meyer more than I thought it would. Really? It's, yeah. I mean, this part of it of, I, you know, I know 2009 that was dropped uh, when they, when he talks about two, 2015, I mean, when you see this, Think back what he said. Now, I'm not, I don't know what he, I don't remember verbatim what he said when you guys were with Doug Lay Maurice and in the second scrum, but when he's at the podium, 
you know, he's talking about, I mean, I'm going to read this again. I know nothing about this. Is there a way to find out exactly what his issues were? I know about 2000. I'm going to stop you right there. What do you mean? I knew nothing. The same report talks in detail about how they both, this investigation was going on in 2015 and both he and Gene Smith spent months monitoring it. It's not like this was some, whoa, what are you talking about? 2015, Zach Smith, what was I doing that year? You were monitoring a very serious police investigation into him. And by the way, I know some Ohio State fans have gotten on Brett McMurphy because his original report said he was arrested that year because that's what the original police report said that they but then they said they checked the wrong box i mean i was there in chicago nobody actually specifically asked him about an arrest they said an incident in fact he brought it up on his own in the at the main podium before anybody necessarily asked about 2015 he just made a point of going ahead and saying 2015 i mean we looked into that there was nothing there was nothing to that i don't know who would who would make up such a thing i mean this was not about like the, the semantic distinction between arrest and investigation. Yeah, I he guess totally I'm, blew it off. Well, I'm saying on this, and again, maybe walk me through this, you know, when, so this, they find out about 2009, 2015 from the title nine coordinator who then tells Gene Smith, who then tells urban Meyer, then it gets looked into. There are no charges on that. Yeah, but I mean, then that, it said they spent months monitoring the progress of that investigation. So, I, I know, but I mean... I, I just don't think that's something you would forget. I mean, he's a foot, these football coaches remember, like, you ask them about, like, a third down call in the 1993, you know, game they coached against such and such team, and they can tell you that in verbatim. You're telling me somebody mentioned Zach Smith, domestic violence, 2015, and you're not going to remember that somebody came to you on the football field during practice, your AD came to him and said, hey, by the way, uh, your wide receivers coach is under investigation and may be arrested at any moment. No, I it, know. It, it, I, it, I mean, it, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not disputing that part. What I'm saying is, though, they said they looked into it. There were no charges brought. Like, I, that's the part where I'm saying is, uh, maybe I'm missing the point of what you're saying, but they looked into it. There were no charges brought, and he's not supposed to, you know, they're, they're whatever, they're, discussion was not to go down these rabbit holes, which he did, you know, several times anyway, but what, like, should he have outlined the whole timeline there at big 10 media days on that? Well, no, I mean, it says in the text chain, I can't remember if it was Gene Smith or Jerry Emick, the SID who basically told him to say like, there was just flat out say, yeah, 2015, there were no charges and leave it at that. And then it would have been a correct answer. And I don't know if we ever would have even come to all this. But I wanted to mention, there's a really kind of cryptic and, and you know, the the investigation, do you see the reasons they gave as possibly why he misstated? Um, yeah, there was medication. Medication. So the investigators walk it right up to the line, but won't quite say, they think they say they don't know for sure that he deliberately lied at Big Ten Media Days. They basically just say he misstated. And one of the reasons they give is the report says it could it could not conclude Meyer deliberately lied about the incident, but the same token cannot logically square Coach Meyer's responses on Big Ten Media Days, broadly denying knowledge of the 2015 events with his extensive knowledge of those events in 2015. And then it says Meyer was periodically taking medication that can negatively impact his memory, concentration, and focus. Well, I, I don't know what that medication would be, but if it's has that effect that he would not remember something as major as that. I mean, shouldn't we be a little bit worried? I mean, that that's pretty major. 
Well, look, uh, I mean, again, some of some of the stuff I feel like we don't know that much about it. And so I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to do with that. Quite well, honestly. OK, well, you say that, but we know a lot more than we did for the last three weeks. And I'm curious. So I had said many times on here in writing that it was hard to predict what was going to happen because you just didn't know what the scope of the investigation was. We knew it would be at the very least about how he handled 2015. And by all accounts, he didn't violate Title IX uh, protocol. He, they, think he, they said he should have uh, reported to their own compliance office, but they didn't really ding him too hard for that. Right. I, oh, look, I mean, look, let's, let's kind of try to stay organized on this a little bit. Like, okay, so that was the, the, the I don't know, I would say the biggest piece in this, but I think that's, that's why he still got the job. That's so. So I guess what I was going to ask is a lot. There's a lot more in here that we didn't necessarily even know would be part of the investigation. I didn't, frankly, know how much detail they'd go into about Big Ten Media Days because I don't think any of us are are under the um, operating under the assumption that they would he would get fired for lying at Big Ten Media Days, whether it was deliberate or not. That's not a fireable offense. Now I did think that the handling of Zach Smith and why he was still employed. I didn't know if that would be a fireable offense or not, but I certainly thought it was worth exploring, and they certainly did that. But man, if I had told you, <laughs> if I had told you a week ago that this report was going to come out and it was going to show that, and again, and this is a, we can talk about this, but I noticed the investigators constantly go right up to the line and then refrain from actually definitively saying he did such and such. But we know that when Brett's report came out on August first. He inquired with one of his staff members about how you get texts off your phone from older than a year. And then when it came time to hand over the phone, there were no texts on there from earlier a year. So yeah. we can't definitively say it, but it sure looks like he basically tried to cover his tracks. And their, their wording is that it is, it is nonetheless concerning that his first reaction to a negative media piece exposing his knowledge of the 2015-16 law enforcement investigation was to worry about the media getting access to information and discussing how to delete messages older than a year. So when you look at that piece of it, and a lot of the other things in here that we, we didn't necessarily see coming, I mean, a lot of them are a confirmation of things Brett already reported, but there are other things we, we didn't necessarily see coming. Given all that, are you surprised he wasn't fired? Not really, because I think, again, what, what, so what's, let's start on working backwards to me on this. To me, the most troubling things in this, you got to work off of the assumption that so his wife didn't tell him this because the Shelly Meyer part of this is very disturbing of what she seemed to have knowledge of and what he didn't. And there was a disconnect between, between the two of them. The part about the instinct of covering for text messages, I think that looks sketchy. You know, and as I said earlier in the podcast, talking to a, another head football coach on another side of the country, he talks about that and that coaches do that. And I think that's a bad look. And it is. But OK, so we'll, we'll go beyond that. I mean, to me, those those are damning. I'm going to tell you what else I thought was is not in the report, which I think isn't about whether he gets fired or not, but I think may have more legs than a lot of the stuff in this report. And that was the press conference. And as we said earlier on, 
you know, the people in that room did not have access to that 23-page report when they were asking these questions. But at some point, somebody brings up Courtney Smith and the ex-wife. And the challenge here, I think, with all these people on, the, on that stage, but certainly with Urban Meyer, because he's the face of this, is because he said, I think, some, some things he said the right things about needing to do better. But when it came to that answer, he really didn't have a lot to give you and a lot to say. And I'm just so I'm just sorry we're in this situation. And so he didn't have anything to say about Courtney Smith, but he also didn't. I mean, was that an opportunity to at least to step up to the plate on the message of the issue of domestic violence and some of the issues that are happening in society? And I think that would have been that would have that was an opportunity to, to make it bigger than that. And instead it was like, hey, I'm sorry we're in the situation we're in. And I, I get it. Look, maybe they're, they were, they're in 12 hours and they are going back and forth. And there became there. I think that spoke to acts of, of self-preservation by a lot of people there. It was noted that among the apologies, there were three apologies to Buckeye Nation. There were none to Courtney Smith. The only time Courtney Smith's name came up was in a question toward the end. If he had a message for her, he basically dodged that and gave a kind of generic message to everyone. I mean, at the end of the day, we're not going to litigate her marriage on here. It's clear that people, the Myers, the most central people in this, had reasons to question her credibility. Her credibility has been questioned in print now many, many times, all of which is a long way of saying, can you see why it is so hard for victims of domestic violence to come forward with their allegations, especially against powerful people like this? The report, by the way, confirmed what Brett reported that Earl Bruce and Urban Meyer's fixer came and talked to her about possibly dropping the charge about not, you know, not pressing charges in 2009. I just think it's, it's all really sad. The whole situation for Courtney is just really sad. I think the situation, quite honestly, for every, everyone involved is sad still. I mean, I, it's sad. I think it's an ugly story for college athletics. I think it's an ugly story for Ohio State. It's, you know, it's sad all around for, for a lot of reasons. I think it's unique in that because it's the, you know, we're talking about very, very powerful people. And I think we're also talking about, it's really complicated. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in this, in this story. So, you know, you asked me, you know, a couple minutes ago, am I surprised he didn't get fired and knowing what's in here, I'm, I'm not. But I think he's fortunate that the president didn't do that because the president of the university, just because there's a lot of stuff in here that is, it, it just looks bad. But so, so yeah, asking if you're surprised was probably not the right question to ask. I think people would have been surprised if he was fired. Bruce, as you know, we've got real live actual college football games starting technically this Saturday but in full swing next week, which means people are going to be buying tickets to the games. And you know how hard it is to, you know how awful the ticket buying experience can be sometimes. I know, Stu, especially with, if you have kids, everything else just gets magnified. It's hard to, it's hard to get the seats you want. The prices can be a little overwhelming. So what's a guy to do? Well, we're going to tell you about a great sponsor, and that is Game Time. Unlike industry behemoths like Ticketmaster and StubHub, 
who overwhelm users with cumbersome choices and steps. GameTime curates only the best value tickets to make the experience incredibly fast and easy. GameTime is the top destination for last-minute tickets to live events. To make selecting tickets even easier, GameTime shows you an actual high-res photo of the view from your seat. That is really cool. Plus, the GameTime guarantee has you covered. They guarantee you'll receive your tickets in time for the event, and they'll be valid for entry. If that doesn't happen, GameTime will locate comparable replacement tickets or give you a 100% refund. And whether you're looking for sports, music, or theater tickets, you can find all of them under one roof at GameTime. So to get $15 off your first purchase, which again, you could use at the college football stadium of your choice this coming week, visit usegametime.com audible and use promo code audible. Again, that is U-S-E-G-A-M-E-T-I-M-E, usegametime.com slash audible. But for that very reason, I guess I should ask if, I'm not going to say any specific names, obviously, but if hypothetically we were talking about a coach who has gone 9-3, and 7-5, and five, and 8-4 and four the last three years, same exact report, fired, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if he would be, but he I think be. there's probably a better chance he would be. Also, a coach that's not as distinguished as Urban Meyer would not have $38 million buyout coming to him if he's fired without cause. That was obviously a complicating factor here as well. But it sounds like, look, I mean, there were 20 board members. What are the chances all 20 of them have the same exact opinion of how to handle it? And then you've got the president who has to make the final call but also who is hired by the board. So it's kind of a strange situation there. And then you've got a football coach who frankly has more political capital uh, at that school and in that state than any of the other pe people deciding on his fate. So I can't say anybody would say, oh, it's surprising after reading that report that he'd be fired. That's, that's not the case. But I think you nailed it. I think he's very fortunate not to be fired. So... If we look at what actually happens now, he'll be missing the first three games. It's frankly, after all the amount of time we spent in the last month just figuring out, just debating whether he's going to get fired or not, it's, it still hasn't really quite hit me that he's actually going to be back coaching in, but not, or not immediately, like in three or four weeks. I mean, this is going to be a really weird situation to watch play out because Ryan Day has been the coach all through camp. But Urban Meyer, even though he can't coach the first three games, will be back, I assume, leading practices after the first game. I'm not sure why they made that decision. The, uh, I, I, I'll say this. I think it's not insignificant that they did it for three games and, and not two. I mean, they play two, two mediocre opponents week, you know, week one and week two. They play a legitimate top 20 team. But not as a true road game, but in their near their home, near their home, and he's not going to be there for that. That's different than people talking about just time sure, served sure. or two games. I'm not saying, you know, like we've we've done a lot of talking on on this now about our reactions, and and none of it feels none of it none of it uh, you know it it feels kind of dark because the story is dark but i mean they they are suspending them for three games it's not like there was no punishment here right and i, I don't know that there's any magic number if, if you are making the decision not to suspend not to fire him but you are going to suspend him i mean i don't know how you even make up the number like if somebody's looking at it and going three games that's nothing well if they had said six games would that have 
been sufficient? Know, like eight, like, nine? I, yeah, What's the right yeah. number? Is it a season? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll give them this. At least they didn't do two games and said you come back before yeah. we play. <laughs> that would look really two. bad. You're right. TCU is a major game that he's going to miss. And so how do you think that'll play out? All right. Here's a guy who they've he's been he's spent the last month in limbo. The team has gone on without him. But obviously, he's still Urban Meyer. He's the head coach. He recruited all the players. He hired all the assistants. He's going to show up week four. We don't have a lot of great examples of compressing. I think somebody said today that Kyle Flood in 2015 was the last one to have an in-season suspension. Obviously, he's not Urban Meyer. I just I think it could be just a clunky is the best way to put it. A clunky season for Ohio State. I don't see as talented as they are, and they are. They have national championship talent. I don't see how you go through something like this and not have it affect your team. Yeah, we, it remains to be seen. I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I do think they have, you know, some experienced players at key spots. And, you know, who knows how they're going to respond to this. I really, You know, it's really it's impossible to say at this point. Dude, I want to get into the column you wrote that just went up on The Athletic, you know, probably an hour ago. And I read it quickly, if you can. Just give us a little synopsis of where the column went towards the second half of it. Well, I wrote that he got his job back, but I don't think he's going to be the same coach. I, you know, the, the, the idea of Urban Meyer as the second most dominant coach in the sport has success everywhere he's ever been. He took a huge, huge dent on a lot of fronts with this scandal. And I don't think he just comes back on September 22nd brushes that off and goes right back to being Urban Meyer. I, the scenario I described, I think you're alluding to, is that I kind of played that out of how that might look this, if, that, if this season, if in fact he leads Ohio State to the playoff in the national title game. I don't think this is going away. I don't think this becomes, you know, oh, we had to fight through some adversity, blah, 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 blah. There are going to, these, these questions about this situation and Zach Smith are going to keep hounding him and especially in a playoff or national championship game setting where there's a ton of media, most of whom don't cover Ohio State regularly, who are getting their first chance to talk to him in person, he's still going to be getting questions about it even then. I just think in this day and age, we're looking at it. You can look at at, at the real world coverage of the media. I don't think that many people care. I think this is a little bit of a perspective of, we're thinking in a vacuum a little bit. I doubt that many Ohio State fans at that point will care about it. And when it comes to the rest of the college football world, I don't think, you know, I think I don't think a lot of them were fans before this. I think there was a lot of skepticism to them that he was the Urban Meyer they knew from Florida. So I'm not sure for them. And I, I don't think it matters. Now, if you're saying to me that his experience of going through this may change how he is, and how he is as a coach, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's if that's going to happen or not. But from just the persona of him and how this this happens, I think you're off base on that. Well, first of all, I think it's impossible to say how it'll affect him. I just as a human being, I have a hard time believing it wouldn't shake your confidence a little bit when you've been this super duper successful football coach and nobody's really ever, you know, had much reason to question you. And you almost lose your job over. But he went you know, through all that. He went through a lot of that, maybe the different types of things. But when, I mean, remember all the, it was a crazy roller coaster of he's retiring, he's coming back, there's heart issues, there's, you know, 
there was a lot of people questioning him back then. There was a lot. I mean, I mean, it wouldn't take much for you to like get, uh, you know, a dozen responses about like, oh, he faked a heart attack to go get. So I think I think here's where you and I differ, and I, I could be wrong. I don't have like the pulse of every single contingent of college football fans. I I was I was of the belief that that had started to fade. Right, he gets to Ohio State in 2012. 2013, you know, he loses in the Big Ten title game to Michigan State. At that point, he hadn't won a national championship at Ohio State yet. And so at that point, maybe the, oh, he faked a heart attack or all the player arrests at Florida, like that stuff was maybe still pretty fresh. But then he won the national title in 2014 and became a bit of a feel-good story again. And as we, as I wrote at Big Ten Media Days, it had been pretty much controversy-free. I mean, you yourself are only a few months removed from writing a column about him that was pretty, pretty, um, put him in a pretty positive light in terms of Urban Meyer, the person. Yeah, I'd like to get into that. I was going to get into that a little later, but I'd like, maybe now is as good a time as any. So I've gotten a couple of questions over the last couple of weeks about it. And this one's actually from, uh, from, on, from Twitter, from Johnny Stifter. Please retract or remove the glowing story of Meyer's integrity and care for his players' life outside at slash after football. He disgusts me and so many others. You're a leader in this sport and key voice. Say something. Stand up to, to the establishment. That's why we support The Athletic. As the boss, Stu, would be quick to tell you, I wrote that story for Sports Illustrated, not for The Athletic, but that's neither here nor there. Here's my thing on that. So the story I wrote about in April was, was back. I spent a, a couple of days around the Ohio State program. And I, you know, I'm going to be perfectly candid on this. And we try, I think we are, we try to be as candid as possible on this podcast. It was a totally organic story. I went down to Columbus. I was going to do a story about Larry Johnson and spent a bunch of time there and talked to players. Because I was there at the same time as Sirius, uh, James Laurinaitis and and, uh, Jason Horowitz from Sirius were there. And so they were bringing out players and we were each talking to them. And the last question I would ask these guys, these players, was which of these real-life Wednesday speakers had the most impact on you? And almost all of them had said this this one about, about mental health, where the conversation went into it. And we talked a lot about it. And Robert Landers, who's a deep starting defensive lineman there, had talked about his own battles with depression and, and the things he had kind of opened up to about his teammates. And it was a pretty powerful conversation I had with him. And then the next day, I'm doing my sit-down with Urban Meyer, and I bring that up. And I think his first reaction when I told him, said, yeah, they, uh, most of the guys I talked to said the same speaker. And he, was, he thought it was going to be this finance guy who I think was impressive to him. And I said, no, it was, an, it was another speaker. And I told him who it was. And then we talked about it. We talked about the issues that he really is drawn to and it's kind of gets overwhelmed by and they were you know he had gone back home from his hometown and heard a lot about the opioid epidemic and there was the Helensky tragedy where the quarterback of Washington State had taken his own life and how suicide and mental health was a major concern and there was there was you know other issues that they were constantly talking about and I that story you know I think it's real. I don't think that was phony. I don't think like you can have, you can have more than one thought in your head. You know, urban Meyer can 
want to help and develop his players, I don't think it's lip service that he's bringing all those guys in on Wednesdays. Did I think he handled the Zach Smith stuff? Well, no, I don't. But you can, you know, he can be both of those things. Some coach can be, can treat players horribly one day and yell and scream at them and, and everything else and still be caring about them and want them to want them to develop into better people. So that's what that story was about. And again, I mean, I don't think, you know, uh, the upshot of this, I don't think this story and I don't think it does, but I don't think this particular story should reflect poorly on the players he has at, at Ohio state right now. And the, you know, one of my takeaways from that story was and talking to a lot of people there was, I do think urban Meyer has better kids and uh, across the board in Columbus now than he did with that group in Gainesville. And so, you know, that's kind of, you know, if people want, you know, people can believe what they want to believe and they, and they're free to have their, you know, their own perspectives on it and they don't have to, you know, they can choose to think that it's, you know, he's a hypocrite and he's doing all this just for either for recruiting spin or I don't, you know, for whatever reason. But, you know, it wasn't like they pitched me that story or anything like that. I mean, the story came from talking to a lot of players and BB Landers and they didn't know any of that other stuff. And the reality is Zach Smith, not any of those players was, you know, at the root of all these issues. And yeah. Well, that's that. As he said himself at the press conference, he had a blind spot for him and because of Earl Bruce. So I agree. I think he had, he has good players at Ohio state. I think, I do think he learned from the experience of Florida and all the arrests and all the second and third chances. And he has better kids at Ohio state. But, and because of that, I guess is what I'm trying to say is that when you say, well, it's not going to change his reputation because everybody already hated him anyway. I really don't think that was the case. I think Michigan fans hated him, and a lot of people in Florida resent him. A lot of people who of teams that maybe come into contact with. But I don't. I think he had earned a lot of respect back after that 2014 national championship team, and I didn't hear that stuff much. But then this happens, and now I think he's lost all respect. I mean, this is what is going to be associate with urban meyer for a long time i I don't think it's going to be can i ask you and i don't know if i'm i may be this may be a red herring this may be the wrong way to do it but if i if we asked a lot of our listeners and our readers who are the five best coaches in college football you think urban meyer's moving off of that number two spot well not right now (laughs) no he as of this moment is number two so but do you think he will. He is seventy three and eight at Ohio State, which is amazing. He's forty seven and three in the Big Ten. It's him, Nick Saban, and Dabo Sweeney right now. I know we, well, we both like Chris Peters. I think you mean it. I think you mean it's Nick Saban, him, Dabo Sweeney. Just right, I'm saying that, that's the trio. Yeah, that's the trio. Yeah. So nothing has yet happened to change that. The season hasn't started. Do you think three years from now he'll be still? He will have continued to win at that clip and will still be viewed that way probably because he he won big at florida he then won big at ohio state i don't think that's going to change i really don't from i guess when i asked you that question uh you said you know we talked about respect i don't know if respect is the right word here i mean 
like I think sometimes respect and admiration get kind of intertwined and, and maybe my, my definition is different from your definition, you know, and, and I think, and, and we're all guilty of this, what I'm about to say in the media, and we're certainly guilty of it probably on social media too, which is in the wake of what happened at Penn state, I think a lot of us soft columns and probably try to write columns saying, all right, we're, you know, we can judge people on wins and losses. It's, it gets to be really difficult when we start talking about who's a great human being and who's not. Right. Right. And we got to be really careful. So I can tell you who I think the 10 best coaches in the country are. It gets a little hazier for me because I know some guys better than other guys, but I don't know some guy. I don't know. Even the guys I know well, I don't know them that well, you know? So that's the part where I feel like, you know, maybe I'm being more pragmatic and maybe in how I view this, uh, just, and we're talking totally upshot here. That's why I think your column was about, you know, my takeaway from that. And that's where I think I am with it, which is, I don't know what changes in terms of his persona slash reputation, because I like I said, I think if somebody's going to tell me, Oh, he's no longer, I can no longer, you know, he's no longer going to be one of the three best coaches in college football. Well, then that's a big change. I just don't, I just don't, buy that look part of it is what happens on the field i told you earlier i think they're going to have a rough season this year by rough i mean little lower than what they've been like i don't think they'll contend for a national championship i think you know it'll be like a nine and three maybe even eight and four kind of season so if um, they go 12 if they go 12 and oh are you going to make him coach of the year so if they go 12 and oh i'll make ryan day coach of the- <laughs> uh, if they go 12 and oh this is exactly my point in the column well, let's say they go 15-0. and 0. Let's say they win the national championship. Like, you remember in 2014 when they won with a third string. When he won the, nat- when he won the national championship with a third string quarterback from Cardell Jones, I mean, I think I may have written, I know we talked about it on the podcast, oh, is he a better coach than Saban now? And a lot of people believe that. Now Saban has won two more since then. That column isn't getting written. That discussion is not being had because nobody's going to want to pra- lavish being- him with Wait, praise. What, which discussion is not being had? He goes 15 and 0, wins the national championship. It's his fourth national championship. He would then be in the conversation again of, well, is he the best coach? And nobody's going to have that conversation because no, it's, I, it's I, no, I think now. you're wrong. I think people will have that conversation. I think they may start to have that conversation and be like, well, but he's he's slimy. I don't want. I don't want to. People aren't doing. A lot of people in this day and age are not getting caught. Whether this is right or wrong, I'm trying to be, you know, just observing what I think is out there. I don't think they're getting as tied into a morality as you want to think they do anymore. Oh, I, Look, I, 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 mean, I think it's the opposite. This is the era of me too. This is the era of look around. You know, one you, one look bad around story you. comes out and somebody's career is over. Like let's just leave, let's let's end it like this. Um, no, there's this topic's not going to go away. We can talk about bigger picture stuff for, for weeks and months to come, although the season starts next week, and I feel like we're actually going to start talking about football on this podcast again at some point soon. Well, Bruce, you may have seen earlier this week that our company, The Athletic, announced yet another big round of hires like Jay Glazer for the NFL, all these new cities, New Orleans, Miami, et cetera, et cetera. They're always hiring at Athletic HQ, and you know what I've learned? Hiring is very difficult. Yes, but still, 
it's been very impressive what you've been able to do. And I think if you can't do what Stu has done, what's the best way to kind of have a cheat sheet on all this? Stuff? Not just what I've done, it's what the athletics done. But anybody who's in the position of hiring people should be going to ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B, as in the audible Stu and Bruce. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. Their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. And ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With the results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America, Bruce. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash T-A-S-B. ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire. When we had to do our Big Ten previews a week ago, we didn't yet know if he'd be the coach or not. And so I kind of played it down the... I, I, I docked them a little bit, but not. I had them going 7-2 and two in conference, 9-3 and three overall, so tied for second, but fourth best overall record in that division. You still picked them to go 11-1 and one and win the division, right? Lose to Wisconsin yeah. in the championship. Did, did Do today's events change your outlook for the 2018 Ohio State team at all? They do not. I still have, again, and you know, this is, in, in full disclosure, this is a little bit of a reflection of me, you know, and it was like I spent weeks with these guys. I spent, you know, a couple of days around some of the players, but I just thought the maturity of those guys in the locker room, I think they'll respond about as well on the field as they can. It's an experienced staff of a lot of guys around it. And I think, you know, I think they'll be okay. In fact, you know, I'm not saying I feel more confident now that now I'm going to say, oh, now they're going to rally or something. I don't want to go there. But I, I, I think they're going to, you know, go 11 and 1. I think they have a chance to be a top, top five team still. I'm a, honestly, since that prediction came out, I'm a little more skeptical of Wisconsin because now they have some some more issues at receivers because they have some big issues of their own to worry about. Yet it's not been a good month in the Big Ten with Ohio State, Maryland, Wisconsin's got uh, two guys suspended now. Rutgers has uh, eight, eight either I, dismissed eight, think, or yeah. suspended for credit card fraud. It's uh, has not been a, a great um, month for legends and leaders to say the least. So I'm the opposite of you. And I'm sure that this is now going to become like a, a season-long thing. You're the Buckeye. You're, you're still with the Buckeyes. I'm the Buckeye hater. I'm downgrading them to 8-4. and four. I think that today was such a circus, and it just showed how chaotic this season is going to be for Ohio State with him coming back midstream. It's just the story is going to hover over them all season long. I just think it's the kind of thing that can derail. As talented a team as they are, it can derail a good season. And then we'll see what happens, because if that happens – who knows what Urban Meyer's future holds? It took one bad season at Florida for him to step away from there. So we'll see. But I think that I think we're still going to be talking about this stuff all season long. The difference will be it'll be a fraction of the podcast instead of the entire podcast. And on that note, we thank you for sticking with us because this was an unwieldy podcast late at night. And quite honestly, we 
I think it's just like a moving target. Everybody was just kind of trying to figure out where this thing is headed and make sense of it. And, you know, I think there's going to be, honestly, as we've said before, I think there's going to be more to sift through, you know, as, as some more of this stuff kind of gets evaluated. And special thanks to our producer, Nick Fink, who will be pulling an all-nighter in order to get this up for you guys to listen to first thing in the morning. We did not make his job easy today, so thank you, Nick. We'll see you all next week, which will be week one of the 2018 college football season. Can't wait. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank our producer, Nick Fink. And we'd like to thank Kevin and the Octaves for our intro song, Dangerous. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for? Read both myself and Bruce and all our other great writers there. Go to theathletic.com slash theaudible and get 25% off. You can also follow our coverage at The Athletic CFB. You can follow me at SL Mandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. We'll see you next time.